A common challenge among B2B marketeers is how do we reach the CXO audience? Those C-suite decision makers at the centre of many decisions around what products and services to buy. In this episode of Through the Line, I'm joined by Rin Hamburg from copywriting agency RH&Co. And Rin and the team have just completed some research into the types of content that CXOs like to consume when they're looking for information. If you're responsible for any form of content marketing or trying to reach a senior B2B audience, I promise you there's some real value in this show. Some of the research findings from Rin and the team are really worthwhile knowing. So if you're looking for some ways to optimize your B2B content marketing, I promise you, you'll enjoy the show. Rin, good morning. Welcome to the Through the Line podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. How are you doing today? I am very good today, actually. Yes. Yeah. Feeling uh, feeling good. Excellent. Good. Thanks for coming on because you are somewhat of an expert in copywriting, running your agency RH and Co based in Bristol in the UK. And I read a report that you released recently around how do we as B2B marketers engage the C-suite, basically. And I'd love to just talk to you about that because I think it's a kind of ongoing challenge, I think, for B2B marketers is, you know, how do we get our message through to those that are the decision makers? Yeah. Yeah. And they're so hidden away, aren't they? They're behind so many gatekeepers. They're busy. It's really hard to know what they're thinking um and also you know you 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 may never have worked in a business like that you know if you're you know if you're a b2b marketer in an sme or a startup or scale up chances are you've never worked at you know say enterprise level or, or that kind of multinational level so actually just even from your own experience understanding who they are and what they're like is quite hard it's it's, it's a lot of guesswork so yeah it's i think that's one of the reasons why we did the report is we wanted to you know get get the information from the horse's mouth really and and I remember we were talking to somebody and they were talking about the blog and they said, we just want to write a blog that's going to, you know, that the, the CFO is going to read in their lunch break. And um, my colleague, whose husband is a CFO, turned around and went, but CFOs don't have lunch breaks. And it was just <laughs> this really interesting, you know, the conversation that came out of that is what led to this research because I thought, actually, there's so much, um, you know, misunderstanding of, of the C-suite. So, yeah, let's just go and ask them rather than guess. Yeah, I think that's really relevant. You know, we make a lot of assumptions, you know, mm-hmm. a CFO is going to read an ebook during their lunch break. I mean, yeah. come on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's a, a lunch break, you know. Yeah. Commute. Um, that's a classic, isn't it? You know, we it's that kind of field of dreams approach. If we write it or edit it or produce <laughs> it or whatever and put it out there, people will read it or watch it yeah. or listen to it. And of course, yeah. you know, that's not necessarily the case, particularly if we don't understand our audience. Absolutely. And and it's funny because I think people often fall into one of two camps. They either sort of disregard content and they sort of don't think it's that valuable and they don't put a lot of emphasis on it, which is really sad because it's so it's got so much opportunity and, and, and power behind it. But or they kind of think that, yeah, in and of itself, content is going to be great. I mean, first of all, it has to be incredibly high quality, but there's and there's lots in the report about what actually to include and, and what it should be. But yeah, if you haven't actually created that content as part of a strategy, if you haven't thought about, well, how am I actually going to get people to read it? Then it's utterly pointless. And also, you know, what are they going to do next? That's that's not particularly what we cover, um, you know, in, in the report. But yeah, you've got to know how are people going to get to it? And then what are people going to do next? Because otherwise it's just, 
know. Completely. Well, <laughs> we had X amount of people read this report. Great. So what? Yeah, I, I think one of the challenges in content marketing is, is is you know equal parts producing great content, but then of course getting eyeballs onto it. You know, if people yeah. don't ever see it, then yeah. it's never going to actually reach your audience or add any value, is it? So there's exactly. that kind of dual challenge there. But yeah. let's talk about the the research that you did. So mm-hmm. who 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 have you? Well, I don't name who you've spoken to, but what was the methodology? No, a lot of the people were happy to be named. So, so we did we did a combination. We did a survey, which um, we got lots of different people to, you know, all, all C-suite, but from a range of companies, from you know, 50, 50 persons, people, startups, up to you know, five thousand plus. Um, so, so that was interesting to get some of the kind of the the stats, the. Uh, uh, quantitative data I hate that word it's so hard to say <laughs> and then but I think for me what was more interesting and, you know I come from a journalism background so I love chatting to people and, and kind of picking their brains was was being really fortunate to to get in front of um a good handful of, of high level um c-suite people um from from the very group from card factory uh group on international and then locally here UE um the University of the West of England and that just gave us a really lovely way to dive into some of those questions a little bit more and kind of get the thinking behind it. You know, it, it was no surprise that CXOs do not have a lot of time to to read marketing content. Like that was, we always knew that that was going to be the case. But but then actually to dig into that and kind of go, okay, why? And, and funny enough, one, it didn't make it into the piece because it was a sort of slight side point. But um, one of the guys I spoke to, he, he actually used to read a lot more before the pandemic because he was commuting, but now he does so much more from home. So he actually reads a lot less but he listens to a lot more podcasts because he can do that while he's at the gym or while he's getting dinner ready or something i could totally relate to that rin because i used to listen to a lot of podcasts on my commute into london Mm -hmm. and i just don't do that anymore and my consumption of podcasts went through the floor which is really sad because Mm -hmm. when i do pick them up now i've I've really missed the value of podcasts yeah yeah it's just and i think it's that sort of thing is is actually I mean, with all marketing, right, we've got to put ourselves in our audience's shoes because if we're not doing that, we're not really trying to think it through, then then we're always just going to be trying to sort of sell something or trying to get our own agenda across. And, it, I, you know, whenever I do any training um, or kind of speaking in, in front of an audience, I always show you a slide that's just that a very simple Venn diagram. It's what you want to talk about and what people want to listen of, listen to. <clears throat> you know, what's the crossover? And you've, you've got to you've got to stay in that sphere. And <clears throat> with CXOs, it, it can it can be very, very tricky. But yeah, so so it was nice to be able to do that that digging behind the facts and actually get some some oh some some gem quotes. There's um, one from from Ben Fletcher, who's the, the CFO of the very group, and he's talking about how you know people underestimate um, his desire for things to just be simple and easy to read. You know, and I think we sort of think, oh, you're you're you know you're at the top of your game, you're in the C-suite, you're you know you're in a big shot. So you must be so super smart. You want to see all my workings. You want to see all the complexity of my thinking. It's like, actually, I don't. I want there to be complexity of thinking behind there. I don't want simplistic. There's a difference. But I want you to present that complexity in a way that I can engage with it really, really simply. Um, and, and there is a real skill in that. You know, copywriting is not just about being articulate or understanding grammar and spelling and punctuation. It's, it is about how do you take complicated and complex information and how do you make that engaging? And a lot of it is simplifying. Yeah, I think that makes perfect sense because you know if you're if you're in a, a position where you have a lot of work on your plate, a lot of responsibility, you know, you have to do a lot in a short amount of time. So as you say, there's someone that can simplify or distill the complex into something that they can easily digest. 
that's quite important yeah. so that's probably a major turn on for the c-suite isn't it you know getting something for that sure. has clearly been well considered and thought through and presented succinctly is yeah. is probably quite a powerful way to reach this audience absolutely yeah no i, th- I think that's exactly it you've got to, you've got to think about it that, that's actually what probably takes more time you know obviously we we do you know a lot of writing as a, as a team as a business but i think sometimes people are surprised by maybe cost around copywriting because they're like, you know, okay, but how, how does it only, how does it take you that long to write it? It's like, oh, the writing doesn't take all that long, really. I mean, it can do, but actually it's all the thinking behind it. And we, we work actually, especially with bigger projects, if we're writing, for example, you know, white paper or something uh, or, you know, website copy, we work in a very iterative way. So we'll start off with core messaging. What is it we're trying to say? And we'll really try and distill that down to, you know, a few words or a few sentences from there we'll build up a structure okay here are some of the key points we want to make here's the the general flow through here's how we're going to contextualize it in the introduction here's how we're going to end up concluding it get get kind of client feedback into that bit and only then do we start actually you know putting the meat on the bones you know writing is only one of the skills you need as a great content creator i agree with that and and i think that that's people often underestimate the amount of time that goes into the thinking behind a piece of creative, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's a really yeah. beautifully written website or ebook or another piece of content, or as I often see in the world of building design, because as you know, I'm a co-owner of an architecture practice. People yeah, don't yes. understand how long it takes to think about designing a building. You know, anybody can do a floor plan, but not everybody can create a very well considered building. And and that's yeah. the difference, yeah, exactly. I think. So, you know, whether you're producing a building or, or a great piece of content, you know, being able to consider all the detail and create something that is beautiful and mm-hmm. easy to understand and consume is quite quite an art. Uh, an art. Well, I think that, that's that's why we so enjoy the kind of the the niche, as it were, that we've we've kind of um, worked ourselves into. But but we we work with with kind of what we term expert led businesses, and that's any business where you've got subject matter experts within that business and and they're the most interesting people because when you start talking to them and when you start digging which you know as an ex-journalist is what I love (laughs) there's so much gold in there and there's people who you know have all this you know knowledge and these anecdotes and these stories in their heads and they've they've got all that thinking right they're really 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 smart but they're not necessarily great at communicating it right because they either go too much into the detail or they ignore things because they think it's obvious but actually it is interesting to other people and and actually learning how to to dig into that I think that's something that b2b marketers you know, find quite difficult. I mean, it's particularly hard if you're working in-house because your your subject matter experts in-house are probably ignoring you and too busy, and they don't want to they don't want to get involved with the with um, <laughs> with the marketing department. But yeah, I think that's that's what's so interesting. And and increasingly, as you know, AI takes over the world, that's what's going to make your content stand out, right? If every Tom, Dick, and Harry is able to produce thousands and thousands of words of content at the touch of a button. How are you going to differentiate? Well, it's about the experts in your business. It's about what's in their heads. That's yes. what sets you apart. I don't want to go down the the AI route too much, but I have to tell you a story. <laughs> Yesterday, I was telling my twelve year old that I'm writing a book, as I just described to you as well, about uh, running agencies. And he came yeah. back and said, "Why don't you just get Chat GPT to write it?" I'm like, "You're 12. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. It's really. Terrifying. And I had to say it's to him, really- "Well, that would be okay if I wanted to produce something fairly bland and generic, but it wouldn't have everything I know because that's in yes. my head, and that's what I'm trying to get out into the paper." Yeah, onto paper. Absolutely. absolutely. So, from your research, then, what else is it that really cuts through? What catches the eye of a typical 
CXO or C-suite member? I think it's tying things to the big picture. One of the things that we talk about um, in the report is that they're big picture horizon scanners, and and that's a slightly separated out thing. So the the big picture is that, you know, if you're you're in the C-suite, you're probably not involved very much in the day-to-day operation. You've got you've got people below you that are doing that. You are much more like, okay, how is, you know, how does my department fit into the bigger, you know, picture of the business? More interested in leadership and getting the most out of your people. Um so so that's one thing. So, you know, that C level person is is not necessarily even involved in the picking of the new supplier. You know, they they may they may have you know met somebody at a conference and go, oh yeah, let's chuck that name in the hat. Or they may be involved sort of somewhere down the line where their person b- below them is is presenting some options. But really, they're not the person kind of going, oh, how do I fix this problem? And googling it and going and reading blog posts so that they can choose a supplier. That's not who they are, right? So so it's not really helpful to aim that type of content at them. Aim that lower down. And the horizon scanner thing is, is you know, they, and I, and I use the analogy in, in the report, they, they're sort of standing at the helm of the ship. You know, it's their job to look out into the future and go, what is coming? Can I, I need to make sure that my business is prepared for this. So, you know, if you're writing about, you know, employee benefit software, cool, but don't just write about that. Think about, okay, what's the bigger picture? Can I talk about, you know, the way that um, employee, you know, talent, what talent wants from a business is changing or, you know, the fact that well-being is now, you know, such an important part of HR or, you know, the bigger picture things that that are important. And that's what's going to get the uh, the, the C-level attention, I think, a lot more than you know, here's the detail of what our product can do. Yeah, I, I think the average B2B marketeer does misunderstand a little bit around what the CXO is really looking for. And we try to mm-hmm. not ambush them, but bombard them with lots of information that is perhaps too technical and detailed, mm-hmm. too task oriented when, you know, in reality, they've got a little bit of time to think about that and a lot more time to think about futures and horizon scanning, as you've called it. Yeah. So, you know, thinking about your suite of content assets and aligning different content to different members of the DMU is quite important. Yeah, definitely. And I, you know, I think that that whole ship analogy can, can go even further, you know, the, the sea level, they're the ones that can actually turn the direction of the whole ship. Right. So, so one of the points I made, I think it was the concluding point is, is that they're the agenda setters, you know, they're not the people who are buying the software or whatever it is they're buying, but actually if you, for example, we were talking about the you know the benefit software. If you can help that the C-suite to understand how talent is changing, and I don't know what millennials want, and I'm a bit anti the idea of saying millennials are totally different to the rest of us because they're not. But um, you know, if you can if you can get them thinking differently, then they're the ones who might go. Do you know what? Well, actually, we need to we need a program within our business where we can do more of this, and then they will tell the, again the people below them to go out and find. How can we help our employee well-being more? And then those people are going to go and choose the platforms and things. So, so actually, it is still worth talking to the C-suite, but it's much more. Yeah, it is at that much more high level, getting them to sort of steer the ship slightly differently, and then more of the detail comes sort of lower down um, in the organisation. Yeah, that makes sense. I think that's mm-hmm. right. You know, get, getting the right content to the right people is important. You know, and understanding what it is that the CXO cares about will be a, a good starting point. Which many, I think, many of us fall short of that that understanding. Yeah, it's, it's tricky though sometimes because sometimes then it's something that's not on their mind particularly, but you know that they it needs to be on their mind, ah, and they okay. are really really keen for that as well. You know, if you can say, 
um, you know, by the way, I'm really embedded in this industry and I can see stuff coming in the future and you really, really need to pay attention to this. They'll go, oh, okay, interesting. I want to check that out. And it may not be, you know, you've got, again, you've got to have this long-term perspective. You know, they may not be in the market for something today. But with the C-suite, if you can see it as a relationship build, if you can see it as an education process and, you know, really adding value and, and thinking about it in that long term way. If you can get them to start thinking today about something new, then maybe in a year or two years or three years, you'll end up on their supplier list. You know, but it's a long journey. I think that's really relevant. Sometimes we 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 think sales cycles are shorter than they genuinely are. And there's a stat I saw recently, and I, I wish I could remember where I saw it and who to credit it to, but it was something like only five percent of your audience are in the market to buy at any one time. And the other 95% are earlier in the sales cycle. Do you know this this quote? I do. I actually, I've written a blog post about it. So there was an article I read in Marketing Week. It was about the 95-5 rule. And I can't, I think it was Aaron Bass Institute, but there was, I can send you a link to the Oh, please. Yeah, so it'd be nice to credit that properly. (laughs) But but actually, interestingly, they've updated it since and saying in a recession, it actually goes to 99-1. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. So it's even more important to have that brand building. You know, I think, I think, I understand why uh, performance marketing, sales activation, whatever you want to call it, the kind of growth marketing side of things. I understand why people are excited about it because it's new and it's and it you know in certain circumstances it absolutely delivers results and you know it needs to be part of the mix. But I think people have sometimes dismissed brand building as being a bit fluffy or a bit old fashioned, and brand building is foundational. It's it's you know it's got to be a really high priority and in fact actually a lot of the studies you know show there's the rough split it should be about 60 40 in terms of you know what you invest in in building the brand versus what you invest in actually kind of doing the acquisition um but yeah sorry that's a bit of a a passion so we've gone to the long and the short of it and honestly this is one of my favorite subjects so i'm gonna have to be very careful not to get down this rabbit hole i've also i've just done the um the the mark ritson mini mba um in marketing good how was that it was really i really really enjoyed it and it was just such a good grounding i feel like every marketer should do it because it just takes you back to basics and when i say basics again i'm not meaning simplistic i mean foundations yeah you know, like, here's the theory, here's the truth that's been around for a long time, because absolutely things change. Of course, consumers change, marketing change, trends change, tech changes. But you can't throw the baby out of the bathwater and you can't forget what we've sort of always known about about marketing. Mm. And I think if you can bring those two things together, it's enormously powerful. Yeah, absolutely. I, I totally agree. And, and uh, I've, I've been looking at Mark Ritson's course, thinking that would be quite mm. good to do at some point. I just oh, haven't great. got to it yet. Yeah. I'm a big fan, <laughs> big fan. It's, it is work. I tell you what, you need to set some time aside for it. If you want to do it properly, because there's so much reading and you don't have to do it all, but I'm a big keener, a big nerd, and I like to... I like to read all the extra bits and, <laughs> and I and I did do the exam and yeah, that took flipping ages. Did it? But okay. it was so worth it. It was really, really, really fun. It was really fun. Good. I haven't seen your post on LinkedIn yet saying, look at this, look what I got, which most people do, don't they? Twenty eighth of July I get my grades. So. Oh, okay, so it's coming. <laughs> so so let's get back to uh, hitting the C suite or targeting yes. the C suite. Are there any particular formats of content that came out that you know, are particularly impactful or, or useful for CXOs at the moment? I think 
I mean, there was things like, you know, the, a lot of the CXOs, you know, the, the highest, the, the place they mostly discover content is either by um, somebody sharing something on, on uh, LinkedIn or, you know, a colleague or somebody sharing directly with them. That doesn't necessarily tell you about the actual type of content. And again, they don't have a lot of time. So you would imagine that short form is better. But I don't, again, think that that's true. I think for me, what I really learned, and it's something that that I've really been developing in my thinking, is how how personal contact is so important. There's a section at the beginning of the report that talks about, you know, CXOs do read, but you've got to be in their network. So I think that content has to go hand in hand with almost that kind of ABM strategy where you're where you're thinking, okay, am I going to find that CXO at, um, you know, am, am I going to go in front of, get in front of them at a, an exhibition or, you know, conference or something like that? You have a conversation, content becomes a follow-up. Mm. I do this all the time. I'll be, I'll meet somebody, I'll, I'll have a conversation stroke, sometimes steer a conversation, you know, in a direction where I can kind of gauge which piece of content might I be able to send to them. And then as my follow-up, I can send them content. Now that's me one, having an excuse to ask them for their email address. Cause I'm like, oh, I've got a piece of content I can send you. Can I grab your email address? And they're like, yeah, yeah, definitely. That's great. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. They're now in my CRM. But then I'm also adding value. I'm backing up that initial contact, which let's face it, if you go to a conference, you're going to meet lots and lots of people, right? You, not, you might not remember half of them, but if you can follow up with a piece of content, you know, you, you're suddenly, oh, you're, you're, you've got a second point of contact, then they've got something tangible that they can look at. Hopefully it's useful to them because you've had that chance to work out what is it that they're talking about. So, you know, something like a conference is, is, a, is a starting point. Or it could be, you know, we, so obviously I've, I've named some of the people that we've spoke to in, in our report yeah. that we did. Obviously we've tagged them when we've shared it on social. So I know that other people from those organizations have downloaded it because they've been like, oh, my colleague got mentioned in this, so I'll download it. So, you know, thinking about how can, in the same way as a podcast um, host, you know, you get guests on. So if you create a a piece of content, could you get two or three, you know, influencers within your industry to to talk about it? Because then you can tag them on social. And then it's just thinking like that, thinking a bit outside the box of how can I make that personal connection? You know, if if you have lots of personal connections, you can grow a business Mm. on word of mouth, right? Like loads and loads of of businesses are grown on word word of mouth. At some point, you're going to need something more, right? Likewise, you can create content and it can be great and it can sort of accidentally get a few readers. But if you put those two things together, the contents and the contacts, that's where you've got gold. Completely. It's it's going back to what we were talking about earlier is is the kind of distribution strategy around how do you get your content in front of the the eyeballs of your target audience. And it's interesting what we were saying about gatekeepers earlier and reaching the C-suite used to be really hard because you didn't necessarily, weren't able to penetrate beyond the gatekeepers. And now I think, you know, we can start to become aware and build relationships through things that are really powerful, like LinkedIn, where yeah. everybody has their profile. So if I wanted to find out who the CMO of Boots is, well, of course, I know that's Pete yeah. Markey anyway, but I could find him on, on LinkedIn. I could tag him on a piece of content, as I did yeah. recently, and got a yeah. little response. Um, oh, that's and, cool. and that's great. And that's an, a really nice way of trying to, to you know make sure that your content is reaching the right person, isn't it? Yeah. Definitely. I always, I, I think there's, there's so much analogy between this kind of B2B marketing, especially in the kind of the longer sales cycle and service base, rather than you were talking before about, you know, like SaaS when, you know, it's $5 per user per month and they just need to click. Like that's a different thing. But where there's a degree of relationship building involved in it, it is like dating, right? You know, 
go to the parties where the person that you like is hanging out, you know, make friends with their friends, you know, get their friends to mention you because they're, you know, you're such a nice person and you're so helpful. And you know, it's that sort of thing, right? It's, yeah. Yeah. It sounds really cynical to say it, but, but it, it is that it, it genuinely is about relationship. And if you stop seeing it as a sales process, I mean, to be fair, the best salespeople are always going to be thinking of it as a relationship anyway, but not just thinking about like close the deal, close the deal, close the deal. It's it's the HubSpot flywheel, right? It's the marketing yeah. into the sales, into the delivery and kind of, you know, if we see it holistically like that and we see people as people, I mean, we know this, right? We're B2B marketers. We're not selling to businesses. We're selling to people. If we can do that, then I think we're, we're going to be ahead of the curve. Yeah. Weirdly, because it's very obvious. But I, I agree. And, and it reminds me of a couple of people I've worked with in agency land over, over the years. Mm. One of my first bosses, he took up smoking so he could hang around in the smoking area and meet people. You know, and, he, <laughs> and it worked and he got business because people that were That's smoking exactly. were potential clients, which I always thought was hilarious. Well, yeah, business possibly also got unhealthy. Yeah, I mean, we won't focus on that side. It was a, it was a yeah. while ago when smoking wasn't quite as horrendous. It's funny though because I think that there's there's such a there's such a danger there, and I, I know this is changing. But you know the whole thing of like loads of business being done on the golf course and that you know naturally excluding you know a bunch of people, I think is it is still very prevalent. But you can be smart, you can be proactive about it. So yeah, I mean you could you could take up golf, right? So you can be on on the golf course with people, but just even knowing where they hang out and and who they're speaking to, yeah. you know, the network that you're in. If, if you can make that network gradually start to cross over into their networks. And, and this is where, you know, I mean, I, I'm not an expert in account-based marketing by all means, but, but I think, I just think account-based marketing to me sounds a lot like really good sales. And I think to, I don't really get why sales and marketing are so often um, separated. I, I saw an article, a headline earlier today, and I haven't read the article yet, but it's about um, why marketing needs to be about more than filling the pipeline or maybe it was a podcast episode I looked at anyway I definitely saw the headline somewhere and it was talking about how marketers shouldn't just be about filling a pipeline you know it should be like let's close this together um, and I think that's such a, a good point you know sales and marketing need to work much more closely because if sales is out there at the conferences right if sales are out there going I'm on the phones I'm talking to people I'm having meetings great as marketers what can we provide for you like what content can we create that you can take with. I went to a pitch on Monday. I had printed and bound some copies of the CXO report. I put them on the table. I got such great feedback. They were flicking through and they're like, oh, I like I have this quote here. That's such a good point. You know, I was like, brilliant. <laughs> you know, yes, of course, I'm putting it out on LinkedIn. Yeah. Of course, I'm, you know, sending it directly by email to people who are in my warm like leads list. And, you know, I'm using it in different ways. I'm not just thinking like, oh, look, I wrote a report. Now everyone's going to come running. Yeah, absolutely. But it was so powerful to, to, as a salesperson, and this is the useful thing is I both sales and marketing in my business. As a salesperson, I was able to take this piece of marketing collateral and use it very proactively so, and actually use some stats from it in, in the pitch slides as well. Sales and marketing alignment is a really interesting topic. I think I might have mm. to come back and revisit that on another podcast because yeah. so often there is that misalignment between the two disciplines that really should be working hand in hand. And I've yeah. seen that firsthand as well, where we've worked for a, a marketing team for a big, big software company, big tech company, generating hundreds of early stage prospects through event marketing for only for those leads to go nowhere because the sales team weren't interested in following up with those leads. And it's like, well, hang yeah. on, why didn't you guys have a conversation beforehand to see whether what marketing yeah. was generating was what you wanted? 
yeah. and they're wasting yeah, millions. Yeah, it's a lot of yeah. ego, which is really sad. Yeah. Um, and a lot of yeah, I think there's a lot of ego in often in sales. And also, sales is under a lot of pressure as well. Yeah. But I think even just the way, I mean, again, we can go down a rabbit hole here, but the way that that sales is is um, motivated with with kind of bonuses around around you know closing, but is is marketing incentivized in the same way? Like, shouldn't it be? Because it's not really fair for the poor marketers if they're teeing up all these amazing leads and, and sales are not doing anything with them. Or it's not really fair on sales if marketing is getting all these like supposed leads, but they're not really yes. the right leads. Yeah, so. absolutely. That that alignment piece is crucial. I'm it looking is. at the clock and we're coming towards that magic 30 minutes, Rin. So what I would love to do is what, I guess, top tips would you give to marketeers, B2B marketeers, for making sure that they're producing great content that reaches that c-suite so definitely think about i mean obviously first of all download my report i mean that's, that's clear <laughs> well, really i'll let you have that one Rian. okay <laughs> <laughs> thank you but no i think definitely taking it higher level linking stop thinking about what it is you do or what you sell and think about the key trends that what you do and sell fits into. I say trends, but you know, what, what are the topics that the, the C-suite are caring about? So they could be bigger trends and topics like, you know, everyone's talking about AI, everyone's talking about employee engagement, like all those sorts of things, the, the pandemic or the recession or whatever it was, try and think about how you can link into that. Um, things like original research, can be incredibly powerful because you've got something fresh to, to add. Um, and I'm definitely seeing the benefit of that for, for us since we've done this research. And, and think about, yeah, think about how the content fits into the broader plan. How are you going to get it in front of people? And that may be, yeah, taking it to a pitch with you, taking it to a conference with you, using it as a follow-up, emailing it, being more proactive with your content. Don't just let it sit there and vegetate. Um, you know, and obviously by all means also do the growth marketing stuff, you know, do some, some PPC advertising around it, you know, get it in front of people, see if you can get on some podcasts and talk about it because, you know, that way there's more, you're getting in front of more people. So just do the content, but then, then just milk it for all it's worth. Yeah. I think often we spend a lot of time and effort producing a great piece of original content. And then as you say, it just sits there and you're never going to get value if you just let it sit there. And I'm absolutely the worst for that. I did a piece of research with the marketing meetup a couple of years ago, looking at the client agency relationship and how can we improve the, the mm. in marketing, the client agency relationship. And that report I thought was really great, but I just haven't given it the, the push that it needs to really get out there. And, and that's, yeah. you know, good learning for me there is it's, it's not the field of dreams here. If you build it, yeah. they definitely won't come unless you do the extra yeah. legwork to push it out. Exactly. But then you never know. It, it needs to only get in front of one of the right people, you know, and I think especially in B2B marketing and, when, you know, when you've got those longer sales cycles and we're not talking about, you know, landing a five or 10 grand, you know, project, you know, you could be talking about a million pound contract. Well, then you don't actually need hundreds of those. No. You only need a few of the right ones. Absolutely. So, it's worth investing that time because even one conversion is going to make such a huge difference. I agree. Okay. So in which case then what should marketers definitely not do? What is it that puts CXOs off? What are the top three things? Don't sell to them. Don't sell. Definitely don't sell to them. Yeah. (laughs) Don't sell to them. Don't waffle. Don't make it too complicated. But the the don't sell thing is, is enormously important. Um, nobody likes to be sold to but particularly at the sea level they just don't like it um it was the one thing that everybody said they said i can sniff it a mile off i don't want to be sold to i think because when you get to that level of kind of power and influence everybody wants a piece of you right 
And it must be exhausting. I guess like being a celebrity, right? Like everyone around you wants something from you and it must be just so tiring. There's just nobody out there who will just talk to you like a person or help you or give you some interesting information. Mm. Like, of course, we all know we're trying to sell to them deep down, right? But like, keep that way, way, way in the background. Have a relationship, be genuinely valuable. And, you know, you might not get work with them now, but you might in the future, or they might move to a different place and remember you. Like, you're going to you're gonna get so much further in, in that relationship building than, than you will if you try to sell. Um, plus, also, as I said before, they're not the buyers. They're the agenda setters. Yes. So help them to understand what the agenda should be and then sell to their teams below them. I like that. That's a nice way to end. Help them to understand the agenda and then sell to the the, the other members of the decision-making unit. Yeah. That's yeah. great, Rin. Thank you. Uh, that's been really interesting and a nice Ooh. overview of your report. I'll obviously put a link to the report in my that, show notes fair. as well. So that. <laughs> Are there any places that you like to go to for uh, inspiration, for ideas? What sort of books do you read or podcasts do you listen to that might be of benefit to our listeners? I wish I could say that I listened to more podcasts and read more books. Um, I, I'm, I'm weirdly almost less interested in, I read a lot of, you know, blog posts and sort of shorter form content when it comes to learning about marketing and B2B marketing, um, read marketing week a lot as well, but I'm really interested in experts. That's my area of interest. So if, if you're a B2B marketer and you've got a lot of subject matter experts within your business and, and that's something that you, you, you're interested in, then I would highly recommend two books. One is the business of expertise, um, by David C. Baker. So he's one of the um, guys from two bobs um, and the other one is called expert um, by and i kid you not this is his name dr roger kneebone a former surgeon uh, can you imagine being called dr kneebone it's the best name ever are but you serious i'm not, not even joking yeah it's but it's one of my favorite books and it's it's very much about the process of becoming an expert because i think a lot of the time today people try and rush that and go i'm an expert i'm an expert it's like you're 12 you're not an expert yeah. like go and actually do the job for a while first and and I just think it's a really fascinating insight. Um, so, yeah, those two are my... I think that's really an interesting insight there is we do rush to be, position ourselves as experts without having yeah. uh, done the work, you know, do spend the time, learn the business, do the work, yeah. and then label yeah. itself as such. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, you know, it's the hare and the tortoise. Yeah. And I know, I know young marketers are excited and they want to push ahead with all the whizzy new technology and I, I'm absolutely not criticizing any of that stuff, but like, you've also got to have the thought process of, of the tortoise. Yeah. Cause yeah. get there in the end. Absolutely. Don't forget the foundations. Yeah. Good. Rin, thanks very much. I've really enjoyed chatting with you. Thank you for exploring your piece of research. And um, yeah, hopefully I'll get to see you in person at some point. We've spoken many times over the end of a video call. But yeah. <laughs> fantastic yeah. all right lovely to uh, to be on thank you andy and um yeah anytime speak again soon <laughs>